0: everybody, and welcome to Fireside Chats with Wendy Wu. This is a series of informal conversations with friends to explore their work processes and experiences. My guests in this series include a composer, a film editor, a dancer-choreographer, a designer, and a puppeteer. The music used throughout the series is by my first guest, Gary Yershon. Hello everybody, this is Wendy Wu. I have with me today the composer, performer and translator Gary Yershan. Hello Gary.
1: Hello Wendy.
0: And thank you for coming up to speak to me on such a rainy day.
1: It was an exciting adventure getting here.
0: Would you like a hot chocolate?
1: maybe later i I don't think. think i should be having anything strong to start with
0: all right that's fine so um the wonderful designer tom ford said do something first and then talk about it well you've done a lot gary so shall we talk a little about it today
1: if you would like to
0: so you're primarily a composer yes um but i heard by the grapevine that recently you did a performance at a secret venue somewhere in London. Is this true?
1: I'm very surprised that word got out. Uh, I thought everybody there was 100% secure. Would you care to say how you heard about it?
0: I knew pianist, I'm afraid. Uh Aha! Yes, Chris Hudson was my spy.
1: And he spoke up?
0: He spoke up because I held a knife to his head.
1: <laughs> I'm sure he couldn't resist that. Under those circumstances, I, I forgive him. But yes, I, I but was... I su- hear
0: it was very successful. I'm
1: surprised that you weren't there.
0: Oh, I was actually in San Francisco that week. Um, oh, yeah. I would have been um, had I been there, but I hear it went down really well. So my question to you is, Gary, do you miss performing?
1: Yes. I do miss it and um, I think that is why I agreed to the hostess's somewhat uh, unexpected, completely unexpected suggestion that I should do this uh, performance. um, I thought it spoke volumes that I didn't say no.
0: And why didn't you then?
1: A part of me wanted to go back to that exuberance, that energy of uh, performing for an audience. I I enjoyed it far too much.
0: (laughs) Does that mean there might be a second performance at another secret venue?
1: Somebody would have to ask. I, I would, I'm not touting for business.
0: staring at the blank page as it were Um, is there any kind of pattern at all do you start writing first or do you start playing first or how do you start
1: I sketch if I do anything Mm. then I sketch very traditional old-fashioned get out the manuscript paper jot down hieroglyphics on them Uh, dots and lines and squiggles uh, which are usually indecipherable even to me Uh, and then I will take it from there and it's not as if the idea of the squiggle or whatever it is necessarily will be what I start with it's just got me going. I I just need to start, you mentioned the blank sheet of paper Mm -hmm. Uh, I try not to be in the room with one for very long don't ask too many questions, put something down, get something moving. Uh, it's that sense of movement, I think. You, you need to start. I mean, you, you all know this from your own enterprises.
0: Well, yes, because I'm a cook, um, I do feel that it's important just throw the ingredients in, act, do something, think later.
1: Exactly. Yes,
0: yeah, I think music and cooking is, is uh, probably quite similar
1: they really do overlap Mm -hmm. in ways that you wouldn't have thought. I mean, for example, think about the property of an egg. Right. And the way that an egg binds different ingredients. There are musical techniques for doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, a long, low bass note at the bottom of uh, the pitch range All manner of things could be moving along on the top, but that low, or it could be in the middle, or it could be high, it doesn't really matter, Mm -hmm. but um, that's an ingredient that binds, tends to bind, all these other things together. Lord God of hosts be with us yet. Lest
0: we forget You have worked with Mike Lee several times. What is, how do you work?
1: Well, Mike, as you know, has a complex and unique process of working with actors and that's the centre of everything that goes on. Uh, there are ongoing discussions for the production designer, costume designer, director of photography, um, all the people that need to be ready for the shoot when it eventually happens. Really, I don't have to get involved with any of that. Mm. So from my point of view, uh, I come in in the traditional way after the shoot has been done. So really... um, it's no different working with Mike than it would be for, for most composers working on most films. Mm. Um, my point of entry is quite traditional. Uh, the It's slightly less traditional when we work in the theatre, or when we mm. have worked in the theatre, because of Mike's working method. Um, normally, as a composer in the theatre, I get involved at the beginning of a six week or four six week rehearsal period, mm. maybe have been involved in planning in some kind of way, mm. not with Mike. Um, so far anyway, I've come in very late, two, two weeks to go and the turnaround has been very, very rapid. Mm. So in a way it's more unusual for me in the way that I work with him in the theatre than it is working with him on film.
0: In the theatre, is it very different?
1: Um, it can be. Uh, I've been rehearsing over six weeks. We suddenly go into the, well, we go into the theatre and start doing technical work, and the whole production does a 180 degree turn. Yes. Everything gets thrown out, mm. and one has to start again, mm. and that's very exciting.
0: of drama if indeed you think of it as support or rather in collaboration with the drama I should say
1: well that rather depends on what culture you're talking about here in the English-speaking world Mm. um, the emphasis is on text. In other cultures, the theatrical experience isn't necessarily based on text. The word, it's perhaps based more on story or um, the playing out of a legend or the um, involvement and participation in the audience in some kind of ritual or, or something like that, where the emphasis is on text. For example, a play by Shaw. Mm. or somebody like that. The music is really antithetical to that. And one might think of a a playwright like David Mamet, Mm. a very heavily textual uh, writer who uses, very proud of and brilliant at using words. He doesn't want music, he's absolutely strict about it. He doesn't want music allied to his productions or his plays Mm. at all at all, he forbids it. Mm -hmm. And I think that gives you a clue about what um, directors, playwrights, and to a large extent audiences feel about the role of music in Mm theatre in the English-speaking world.
0: Am I right to think that you're a fan of Beckett's writing, for instance, which is so inherently musical that it would be difficult to imagine? writing any music to that interestingly
1: um, he of course did um, include music in some of his short pieces his brother mm-hmm. wrote music for those pieces and um, I did write a tiny intro to a production of Endgame mm-hmm. uh, but that's as far as it got it got it got as far as the audience coming in right. it provided ambient and uh, right a to to the start of it, but as soon as the play started so, there was no place for it at all.
0: So what was ambient music for <laughs> a Beggard <Beckett> play?
1: <laughs> it was an odd thing, it, it ended up, you know that, um, you know the double act aspect mm-hmm. of, for, um, for example Diddy and Gogo in, in Waiting for Godot, or um, in this case it was uh, in Endgame it's, uh, who are they, Ham and Cloth. Uh, I was asked to provide something of a music hall accompaniment, music hall piano, mm. for, the, for the audience to, to set up an atmosphere of um, the idea of um, not making it into an evening of holiness, which can easily happen with Beckett.
0: for?
1: Oh. Well, I've had all kinds of things. I wrote for an instrument called the Mizwiz. Mm, in, is um, it? Yes. Uh, it, it's a wind <coughs> instrument uh, of, uh, used, you know, in the Arab world. The Arab world is, it's like saying European. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's lots and lots of different mm-hmm. musics. There's not only businesses of countries and tribes. There's and, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. So I want to use the word Arabic. It's like European or South American or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a big category. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I was doing a production of an adaptation of, of Arabian Nights. We were looking for authentic Instruments and I went completely mad hmm. and found all kinds of interesting things. And this is the Royal Shakespeare Company, and um, they hunted down a Mizwiz for me. How um, do you
0: spell Mizwiz?
1: M I Z, W I Z. Okay. Mizwiz.
0: Does it mean anything? Was I don't know. Does it appear? It doesn't matter. it. it
1: not to me, and okay. um, but it's um, it's a very strange, powerful sounding instrument that, in the hands of a virtuoso, is really impressive. You know, it's it um the guy we had who who played it could master mastered it to a certain level. He he had many skills, mm-hmm. and uh, this this was a new one. He suddenly you know he did his best with it, but just the tone color very distinct. Uh, so that was very interesting and um, I've also written for a a, a mountain dulcimer um, that's um, it's um, one thing I discovered while I was working on this is a production at the Royal Court uh, of a play by Bruce Norris, the American uh, writer called The Low Road and um, Bruce and I share an interest in obscure instruments so we were e- emailing each other back all kinds of stuff and um he got me onto this um mountain dulcimer thing of which there are many variations but the americans i discovered um we have this word zither Mm. to describe something that's plucked
0: Mm.
1: and the word dulcimer uh for something that's struck and the americans as far as I know, don't really make that distinction.
0: Do you have a favourite instrument to write for in terms of more conventional instruments that we know about?
1: No, I don't think so. Curiously, I have written a lot for the viola, but um, I don't know why that's happened. It's just come about that way. Mm -hmm. But I I don't uh, sit and think about it too much.
0: So, do you actually listen to music at all for pleasure? I know a lot of musicians who don't. So I'm, just I,
1: I'm one of those, really. You do? I, I don't, you don't? I don't really listen uh-huh. to, to it for pleasure. It's terrible, isn't it? Just let me ask you, um, is atonal a word that you would have used about the Chinese and Japanese music that you're acquainted with?
0: I wouldn't have. No, it wouldn't have occurred to me. Because, you know, as a child, one might have heard it every single night from the radio or something. You just become Uh. accustomed to that. A relationship of notes to each other, and you don't think about it as, as melodic or not melodic, you might relate to it in other emotional senses like is it dramatic, is it sad, is it intense, is it technical you know, whatever one might think about it. But Cantonese in itself is a tonal language. Ah,
1: oh, now that you raise a very interesting issue,
0: and so you can only write an opera, let's say. Um, or a song um, according to the tones of the language itself. If you alter the tone, it will mean something else. (laughs) So you have to be endlessly creative in rhythm and dynamics and phrasing and all kinds of other ways, because melodically you're completely tied to the tone of the language before it can be understood. And so it's a very natural sound for native Cantonese speakers doesn't sound weird or tonal or not or melodic or not because it's just a language elevated. Important that all
1: librettists are musicians also? Well, interesting question because, of course, one of the greatest librettists, Boito, was and was a composer, and uh, I think therefore understood Verdi very well and what needed to be done. Uh, but also, you know. I don't know that Lorenzo da Ponte was a a great musician, but the Mozart libretti they're they're fantastic. Mm. Uh, they are, I suppose. Um, I suppose the second half always suffers a little bit because of the uh, tradition of having these arias. Um, so in something like Don Giovanni, uh, which I adore, mm-hmm. you know there there are these um, arias that. You feel oh, they don't—they don't really make any dramatic sense, particularly. Don Vera has a a, a wonderful one uh, in the, t- the second act. And um, really, it's, you, you don't need it at all. You could just elbow the damn thing.
0: Yeah, but do we care that it, no. we don't need it? No, <laughs> oh, it's fantastic.
1: sight of power we loose wild tongues that have not thee in awe such boastings as the Gentiles use or lesser breeds without the so,
0: Lord. Um this leads me to the first of what I call an aspect Question to you: Do you know the game aspect?
1: I don't, but I'm obviously going to
0: learn it. It's <laughs> like basically, if you're a drink, what would you be if you were, you know, uh, an electric appliance? What might you be, <laughs> etc. Oh, okay. Yes. And, um, and because uh, I know that you are working on um, a chapter on a book. Yes. About fictional composers yeah. in films so I'm going to ask you this aspects question first and then I'm going to ask you about your writing if you were a movie which film would you be do you think
1: well which film would I be and yes. which film would I aspire to be oh, uh, both then well, that's indulgent of you I think <laughs> I think the film that I am is probably It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. (laughs) But the film that I would aspire to be would probably be The Third Man.
0: Ah, okay. Yes. Yes, Uh, do you care to explain?
1: Well, I suspect that although I would like to be um, full of interesting angles and uh, able to touch a wide range of subjects such as politics, love, uh, morality, all of which The Third Man does because of course it's Graham Greene and all those things are in Graham Greene Um, plus everything that Carl Reed brought to it, and his team brought to it. Um, that's what I would like to be, something as rich as that. That's what I would aspire to be. Mm-hmm. But I suspect that I'm the long-winded mess <laughs> with with uh, laughs here and there.
0: Well, I'm going right back to revise both of those films. <laughs> but uh, right now, I want to ask you about this chapter of a book you're writing, um, about fictional composers in the movies yeah. how did this idea come about
1: well I have a friend who is now a retired uh, academic who in his inbox one day got a uh, academic round robin a call for contributors for a book that somebody was editing uh, under the heading composers on screen and my friend Martin uh, thought that I could contribute an interesting uh, angle mm-hmm. to it. I came up with the idea of well perhaps it would be interesting to see how the f- film industry deals with making a composer up what mm. what do we mean? Yes so I proposed that, and the editor accepted it so that's what, no. I,
0: it's a fascinating subject and uh, in fact you did recommend a film to me that I did watch which was fabulous I've now forgotten the title it's Deception Deception with Betty Davis and Claude Rains playing yeah. the composer Now was his portrayal of a composer
1: believable to you? I think it really was and that's partly because he is such a fantastic actor mm. but Deception is a very interesting film uh, its source material, which is a, a two hander play, a French play, doesn't have a composer in it, doesn't have the equivalent figure. That figure is the third party, as it were, in this love affair, is off stage. Uh, and for some reason, and this is what's interesting about it to me, for some reason they decided, screenwriters, the studios, whoever, to turn this into a, a vehicle for um, these people, uh, Davis and Raines and Paul Henry and so on. They were all wonderful. They thought, were fantastic, yes. but it, why? Why this? Mm. It's so difficult to understand.
0: Who were the composers who had gone from Europe to um, Hollywood just in that, what we think of as a golden period well. of music? Um, well the famous movies. one is
1: Korngold um,
0: who was the composer of is, Deception yes of
1: Deception uh, and who wrote famous scores for Errol Flynn films mm-hmm. Robin Hood Captain Blood mm. a very distinctive stylist you know in the, uh, of the um, if you think of, of a composer like Mahler or Richard Strauss mm. then you might as well Include Congo in that mm-hmm. list, mm-hmm. and he went to Hollywood, mm-hmm. and um, was part of that huge uh, refugee immigrant mm-hmm. community, uh, of which Max Steiner, who did the Steiner who did the uh, score to go with the Wind*, mm-hmm. uh, is probably the most famous yeah. example. Yeah.
0: second aspect question. If you were an instrument, what would you be?
1: Oh, that's interesting. A a celesta. What is a celesta? Celesta is a kind of keyboard instrument Mm. that when you play it, it has a strange rather ethereal kind of nursery bell-like quality to it and um, it's used in all kinds of pieces, uh, but it's essentially it's a keyboard instrument, and the the thing about it that um, it, it, it the, the metal bars are struck, and it has a strange bell-like quality to it. Mm, but it's mm. a it's a small instrument yes. with a very narrow range. That's me.
0: I can I can see that you could be struck.
1: Yes, regularly and produce
0: yeah. a beautiful noise. This leads me to ask you then. Um, I think you learned Russian as an adult. Yes, that's right. Which is remarkable. Um, What drew you to the language?
1: I had been asked to write some music for a production of Three Sisters, Chekhov's Three Sisters, and um, I became quite interested in trying to read some Russian poetry, and I thought, oh, God. And that's when I started to run across Pushkin, and somehow if you were being mysterious you would say that the spirit of Pushkin came and sat on my head mm-hmm. until I translated Ruslan and mm-hmm. and once I'd done that he left
0: as you know my goldfish is called Pushkin I'd um.
1: better I will make sure that I pop in and say hello before I leave.
0: Yes, I think you should. Is it true this thing that musical people are good at languages? I
1: don't know. Uh,
0: Because very often, as you know, in in a rehearsal room, uh, in an opera house, you would find many, many uh, languages being spoken, um, I mean, by the same person very often, just switching around with such ease. And I thought, who are these lucky people with their musical, mathematical and language
1: brains? Well, I think it's pragmatic because opera is an international business. Mm. So uh, it may well be that they are that because they have to be that.
0: Mm. So now, Gary... You travel a lot for your work, and as you had mentioned before, uh, the last time I saw you was in Estonia when you were nominated for the Best Composer Award for the European Film, um, what was it called, the European Film Awards, in fact. Yes. Um, Since then, you've been nominated for an Oscar for your work in Mike Lee's Mr. Turner. Now tell me, did you take a selfie on the red carpet? No. Um,
1: Other people took photographs of my husband and myself on the red carpet. And my husband Matthew took a picture of the red carpet, (laughs) which was wet. Oh no! Rained. Some people did get their... uh, maquillage wet
0: did you have maquillage I didn't made?
1: I didn't even have coiffure, <laughs> so that was all right
0: so did you enjoy it um, I guess
1: so uh it was a strange experience in a good way mm-hmm. everybody was very friendly without exception uh the Experience of being not important, but uh, central to something for the briefest of periods was was quite interesting. I mean, I was varied everywhere, and um, it's as if if I if I was to ask for something, not that I did, but the impression that you got was was that it would be there. <laughs>
0: to my third and last uh, aspect question for you Gary so if you were a social gathering what would you be?
1: Okay well I think that I would not at any stage be a party because I don't like them and I don't know how to behave in them and I wouldn't identify with them so it's hard for me to think of, this. I think that the only social gathering I think that I could possibly be would be a funeral.
0: Really? No.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, is it because you're a very dark and depressive sort of Russian kind of person?
1: No, I think it's because I essentially don't know how to enjoy myself. And right. at a funeral you don't have to.
0: Right. Uh people do try to though these days and, and celebrate a life rather than, yeah. more than one.
1: Yes. So maybe then I will choose an old fashioned funeral.
0: Right. Is this one of the things I've asked you to to bring something you love? This is it.
1: It's it's the mm. god Anubis, the god of embalming.
0: Oh, wow. Of the dead. And he looks a bit like a rabbit.
1: Yes, with pointy ears With, pointy ears. with, a, with a kind of muzzle, mm. like a, a wolf, maybe. Mm.
0: May I just hold it? Yes, for a please. Sack? It's very cold. It's a stone. Um, I thought it was wood when I first looked at it, but it's a stone. So, um, this God does what again? Embalming. Yes,
1: or, or the God of the... the mm-hmm. Anubis, God of the dead. It's a very... It's a, it fits in with wanting to be a funeral.
0: Right. Yeah. Gosh, what a coherent person you are, Gary. <laughs> so, I guess what you're saying is everything is related. Music and words translation and performing and playing and all of that is really all one thing
1: well it is in my case because i want to do all those things so i don't know how other people see them or discriminate between them but for me they're a unity
0: yes you're like a one man orchestral piece
1: (laughs) i'm a one-man pantomime
0: thank you so much Was Gary Yershon everyone all the music you heard was composed by him. My next guest is the renowned film editor Walter Murch the program was edited by Nico Mansinger and this is Wendy Wu signing off